Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. In this episode, we welcome Patrick DiLorenzi to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. Patrick talks us through his journey to a sub-10 Ironman at Ironman Hamburg earlier this year. We also talk about his preparation for this year's Ironman World Championships. Thanks for sharing, Patrick, and all the best in Nice. Hi, Patrick, and thanks for being here. Can you please start by telling us where in the world you are and what's on the agenda today? Uh, hello, Jamie. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. And I'm uh, based in Italy, northwest Italy, in a city called Turin, or in a town called Ibrea, which is very close to Turin. Uh, and today we have a long swim, so it will be slightly more than 60 minutes swim, and probably it's probably going to be an open water swim. And then I have a steady, low-cadence uh, bike workout, 85 minutes. Uh, cool, that sounds very good. And... Uh... We, we we've been talking for the last few weeks and um you have you were one of the first listeners of the podcast so it's good to actually have you <laughs> on the podcast as a as a guest um so what are you training for right now tell the listeners so right now uh i am training for the ironman world championships 2023 in nice uh and i got a roll down slot in a race that i did before in hamburg in june um and yeah i decided to go to nice because it is so close to my hometown it's literally two hours two, hour, two and a half hours drive i went down there last week to do the bike course recon it's an amazing place and i actually had i was really lucky that i got to go to kona in 2019 no sorry two th yeah 2019 um, to actually shoot a documentary project because my work is uh, as a freelance video maker and I actually got to go to Kona and experience what like a world championship feels like and it was an absolutely unforgettable experience it was amazing and Nice will not be the same thing uh, for many different reasons but I thought it's close to my hometown when am I going to get uh, another shot at this I don't know let's take it <laughs> yeah I think that's a that's a pretty pretty good opportunity for sure so today we want to talk about your journey to sub 10, which I, you've definitely do documented a fair bit on your, your YouTube channel and via Instagram. Um, so we want to get into that. I think it's quite a relatable goal for a lot of people. So we'll find out a little bit uh, about where that came from. But before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about your background in the sport, including when you got started and, and why? Yes, for sure. So um, basically my background in the sport is complete zero as in i i got into cycling when i was pretty young but i wouldn't call it really cycling i was just simply commuting in the city so the bike to me was a tool a tool to move freely in the city like get uh, faster to where i needed to go to school university and i would just commute on these basically 
piles of junk uh, bikes that uh, we have here in Europe, like really old, like from the the 80s, not even, uh, they didn't even have gears. Then I kind of got into more like uh, a bit more cycling when uh, there was a big fixed fixed year craze uh, that came about here in Europe, maybe also over there in Australia. But that got me and my friends uh, a bit more into cycling, always as a mode of transport, but also as a bit of fun. So just moving around the city and we would go out maybe three, four people and ride around the city. But it was absolutely, let's call it uh, zero training, zero form driven or zero any of that stuff. Then if we fast forward uh, some years, basically I had a pretty severe let's say call it stress condition with the the job that i was working at the time which was always related to video but it was a a lot more hands-on even 14 hours a day every day uh, which resulted in me kind of like uh, wanting to get back in shape so i tried to get back in shape but what happened was a really crazy thing and basically i had a let's call it a freak injury which just simply would not resolve itself so um, I went to physiotherapists to to see so many different people, and uh, my basically my whole back seized up, and uh, I couldn't really walk. Uh, I couldn't really work anymore, um, and this basically took me off the bike. I couldn't ride my bike anymore, not even in the city, so I couldn't commute. And the only way that I managed to move after quite a long time was basically getting in the pool. The problem is uh, the pool is great because it is non-weight-bearing, so it's very easy on the back, but I couldn't swim. I literally could not swim when I got in the pool for the first time. And here we're talking uh, when I was around 27. So I was 27 years old. Um, and when I got in the pool for the first time to swim laps, I remember I swam one lap and, and that was it. Like uh, I had to stop. Uh, I didn't really realized i didn't really understand what i was doing um but the thing is with this injury that was literally the only thing that i could do so i always felt better after i would go swimming Uh, so i kept at it and i remember um i swam the first time 2000 meters like abysmal technique not that now it's any good uh, but uh, i swam like so slow i think it was one hour to swim uh, two kilometers in the pool uh, but I kept at it and slowly this injury resolved itself and I could get back on the bike. So I, I was basically cycling and swimming, cycling always as a, as a tool, not really as training. But slowly I realized that movement movement made me feel really well. And progressively I kind of like got, mm, let's say back into running because I'd, I'd, I'd run a couple of times in my life, but not much. But I started doing all three activities, basically, not with any goal, not just just with the objective of like moving every day uh, because it really made me feel right. And at that point, I just, you know, one day after the other, I just keep on going, keep on going. And eventually I kind of like got a bit more serious with swimming. So uh, I would swim basically, let's say every day around 2018. I would swim maybe one day, rest the next. And then I got my first road bike. Uh, which was a aluminum, really old road bike that I still have with Campagnolo record, uh, 10 speed or something like that. And I started riding around. I loved, I loved it, really loved how it made me feel. And from then on, I just kept on going, kept on going. And here we are today. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned your job a couple of times. Can you just go into a little bit more detail of, of what it is that you do? Like, Is that what you studied when you went to uni- university and you were talking about 
commuting in and around the city and then you know what you know what does a day in the life of a content creator look like okay so basically it's um it's a, a pretty uh, unconventional story so i grew up snowboarding and skateboarding really a lot like i was heavily into snowboarding and skateboarding and uh, one thing that's a part of the culture of, of both skateboarding and snowboarding is making videos so there is always one person in let's call it the crew who films their friends uh, and that basically was me. I was always really fascinated with uh, the really old Nikon Coolpix, like the point and shoot cameras that used to shoot like, it's not even SD video. It would be like the poorest quality video you could imagine. But I was always drawn to like capturing my friends doing stuff and the, the things we would do uh, like on a day out, snowboarding or skateboarding, and then just editing these little videos. And what happened was uh, when I finished high school, I was supposed to go on a big skateboarding trip. But what happened is I actually broke my ankle. So I broke my ankle and I had to spend the whole summer basically alone in the city. So that summer I taught myself how to edit videos better, how to do motion graphics, how to use like uh, illustration design software and stuff like that. Uh, and then I proceeded to go to uni for uh, communications so uh, communications and visual design it's called so it's basically like uh, a design let's call it design but more towards graphics but i always yep. ended up in the group projects doing videos so i would always produce videos for all projects uh, at uni and that just led to putting a snowboarding events and make videos about that then i progressed into having um with some friends, a studio. So we uh, started producing more commercial content. So like actual ads, stuff for cars, motorbikes, um, and things more of a commercial nature, let's say. So ads. Uh, and now I've progressed more into trying to do, let's say, documentary stuff. So I, Rod Cox actually produced uh, quite a bit of in triathlon. So it's like a talking head and then maybe like training footage or stuff like that. And I was lucky enough to go to Kona to make a really nice project around uh, triathlon with that. Uh, it was about the first uh, eco-friendly uh, tri-suit. So made completely about uh, from um, recyclable materials. So I made a project about that. Or for instance, last year I made a project about an ultra cycling race, gravel race, which uh, is called Badlands which is in the desert in Europe. And it's an amazing, amazing event. So I went there and like I followed four athletes. So I went go to the event. I do interviews with the four athletes. And then I capture footage of them like setting up the bikes or then racing the event. And, and that is on the, let's say, content creation side of things. Uh, whereas I also have some remote contracts for motion graphics and video editing, which uh, allow me to be more, let's say, location independent. So a day in the life would look like uh, for instance, like today, uh, I will work a standard, let's say, nine to five European hours. So depending on the day, there might be a lot of stuff to do or not that much stuff to do. But it will mostly be like uh, commercial commercial projects for, uh, let's say, social media for a couple of uh, big distributions in Italy that deal in electronics, cameras and uh, things like that. So it'll be, let's say, could be anywhere from two hours of work to 12 hours of work right now. Very variable. Okay, so it varies a lot day to day. Just out of interest, what was that tri-suit made from all recyclable materials that you mentioned? I'd have to go and look, but it was just basically like a bioplastic. It was, uh, the brand was Ale, which is an Italian brand. 
that I still have, like the tri-suit that I have now is from Ale. Uh, they make very good products. And this was a material that they used. They started using it in uh, cycling uh, clothes, uh, but they but no, uh, they hadn't done a tri-suit with it. So the project came about. It was actually created by uh, the boss of the triathlon team that I'm a part of. He actually had the whole idea to make this. He said, we're going to Kona. That's like a natural paradise. It's getting like, you know, uh, more and more problems with plastics, plastic in the ocean and everything. So why not make like a project about this? And uh, yeah, and uh, turned out, in my opinion, it was a very nice project to do. And the video turned out great. And it was an experience like really of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I'd imagine that the going to Kona in 2019, that would have had quite a big influence on you who had, when you just started sort of integrating swimming, cycling and running into your daily lifestyle. And then obviously with work, you got the opportunity to travel over there for this project. What influence did that have on you, I guess, as a triathlete and to fast forward where you are now, uh, did that play a role? It was absolutely uh, an amazing experience that I will probably never forget. Uh, it was actually, I just completed my first 70.3 in Italy in September, and uh, I went to Kona in October. And the people that I met in Kona, specifically for the project that I, that I went to shoot, they were uh, one professional triathlete, or maybe two professional triathletes and two age groupers. And to be honest, it was really uh, something that left me a, a lot of uh, motivation and just like I, I felt that I that I wanted I, I aspired to be a bit like like these people that I met like uh, I saw what they did and to me it was just mind-boggling like uh, when you when you do 70.3 it's like seeing these people who compete not only double the distance but at this brutal race it's it is absolutely brutal because I went running where they run but we went in the morning like at 7 a.m and as soon as the sun comes out, it's brutal, like brutal conditions. So seeing Kona live, seeing the event, seeing the, all the people who have sacrificed a lot and put a lot of their life in uh, in this goal, it definitely influenced me and motivated me to go ahead. That being said, uh, Kona is not my my like main goal at all. But I mean, if it w- it would be nice to work towards it. But it's not something that I, if I never go, it would be, let's say, heartbreaking. Uh, but it would be really nice. It would be really nice to go. Yeah, for a lot of people, it is it's something they've aspired to for, you know, for decades, quite literally for some people. But obviously, that's that's not a driving force for yeah. you. So, what what yeah. does what does drive you? What is your biggest motivation? So my biggest motivation is to promote. The sport, basically. I want to promote triathlon and especially 70.3 training as a way for anyone who has zero background in no sports, nothing, to maintain an above average fitness, all while it being fun. Because the thing that I find is that even if sometimes it might be boring, triathlon training, middle distance training, Ironman training are inherently fun. Because like you get to go right around, you get to run outside. You get to swim both in the pool and open water. And I think it's something that is really sustainable long-term. This is the thing that I've, this is what kept me going in the sport because I really find that it is sustainable and every day there is something different. And even if you have like injuries or stuff like that, you can still progress in other areas, whereas other sports don't really have this. And I find that it, it just, 
if you don't do crazy amounts of volume, like in this moment I am doing, I think it, it really can blend well in uh, daily life for the vast majority of people. And even if you start from zero, even if you start from absolutely zero background in any of the sports, you can make significant progress. And this is something that is really cool on a day-to-day basis for like even just feeling that you're working towards a goal and that you're making progress. You see uh, everything that's getting better day by day. And it is something that can really boost our, I believe, uh, our lives and our confidence. And it can open doors to do other things that we never thought possible. I really like that. As part of our coaching business, we we have uh, some similar, uh, some crossover to what you're saying there. So we always look at trying to be healthy first and promoting a healthy lifestyle. And then we build fitness on top of that. And then we chase performance. And that that third element of performance, sometimes that is athletically and people will want to aspire to bigger and better things. But often it is just about having performing at a higher level in life across the board, which is Sounds very similar to to what you're saying. So yeah, I really like that. It really res- resonates with me. Definitely, yes. I find that the biggest lessons that um, 70.3 and Ironman training have, has given me is they have translated to so many other areas of my life. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty mind boggling to be honest. Like my life has my life has dramatically changed since I started practicing and being consistent with with the training. And treating it a bit as something, you know, structured and that has, let's say, some rules, it has definitely impacted my life. And I and I think that it could impact the lives of so many other people in, as I said, a like, consistent and fun way. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. So on that note, is, is there anything, you know, compared to your life, say, eight, 10 years ago before you started on this triathlon journey that you could use as an example? of how, how different it is now, how much better it is now, just because you have set yourself some goals, but also just being consistent with your training and involved your your health and fitness. Is there anything that stands out? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, to be honest, I think in the past mm, six, seven years, I've lived many lives. Uh, so starting off uh, skateboarding and snowboarding is very uh, alcohol-infused culture. So there's a lot of drinking. And I had a big chapter in my life where drinking was a big part of it. It was never like a true addiction or anything like that. It was more like, I would say, associated with maybe like binge drinking or stuff like that. But it was so normalized in the culture that basically all my friends were doing it. So it's it it felt like it was normal. So that was uh, basically all all my life up until I was uh, 25, 26 with various moments. Like it was more, maybe sometimes it was less. When I was working a lot, it was maybe less. But uh, alcohol was always a big part of my life uh, until um, one day, uh, because I, I was uh, faced with the choice between uh, staying with the, my girlfriend at the time or alcohol, I decided to quit completely. So that was the first thing that I took away. Um, and that is the, the biggest shift that I've made. And that, this was just maybe one year before starting triathlon, maybe one year and a half. And when I stopped drinking alcohol, I felt this tremendous surge in energy. I had so much more energy. And that is when I started like waking up early and kind of like valuing, let's say, a, a health-focused lifestyle. I really felt that I, I felt better, if you know what, if you know what I mean. Um, so yep. from then on, uh, the movement part came in after the injury, as I said before. So I quit alcohol. Uh, and then after... Three, four months, I had this injury and the injury really reinforced the fact that uh, movement is critical. Movement is critical to well-being, in my opinion. 
And oftentimes you don't realize what you have until you 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 don't have it anymore. And that that moment when I lost like even just something simple as cycling in the city, like we're not talking training, we're talking commuting in the city, is inherently such a powerful thing to be able to commute and really move freely through the city, not having to take a car. And it adds up like if you commute 20 minutes a day to, to your job and 20 minutes back every day for a year, that is a massive amount of volume, actually, even if it's just so two. It, I mean, oftentimes in the morning, if I was late, it was intervals. Even if I didn't <laughs> know they were called intervals, I would do intervals to go to the office and get there early uh, or on time, at least. Um, so in that moment when I had that injury, I really realized how much I had uh, not basically uh, taken care of movement. Like Movement is something that should be cherished every day. There are a lot of people who aren't uh, as um, lucky as us who get to move. They they have some physical conditions that prevent prevent them from doing so. Um, and I believe if we are able-bodied, movement is something that really needs to be valued and actually promoted because I think it is um, the, the average person, maybe they move a little bit, but they, they probably could do more and it would lead to feeling better, feeling stronger, feeling healthier, uh go be able to go on uh, adventures like the biggest the biggest thing about triathlon training is that once you have that really solid fitness like that you can do a five-hour event six-hour event seven-hour event it's very easy to do other stuff like you can go hiking in the mountains whenever you want you can it opens the doors to to so many other possibilities so right now health focused life uh i really like i really love it i i really love where i am today compared to seven eight years ago which was a lot more stressful, a lot more, uh, let's say, work-focused. Maybe priorities were a bit different compared. My, my work was more important than health. Now it is absolutely the opposite. It's completely the opposite. That is the biggest shift that has happened in the last six, seven years. Yeah, another good message in there, I think. And I think relatable, I think, talking about the alcohol and how that's infused into to many co cultures and is, and is normal but being able to sort of shift away from that and, and feel better for it. And then that com in combination with being more health centric and health focused, as you said, and it doesn't have to be Ironman or ultra endurance events, but just, just moving and being healthy is, is a, is a good message. And it's very interesting that someone who now has performance orientated goals is still focused on, on health being the platform of all of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the thing is, it is very easy right now for me to lose track of that. Like mm. since I, I, I've gotten, because it is something that excites me. So, so chasing performance, I think performance is a, a good indication of health because you can't have really high performance without health. You have to be healthy first and then you can build upon that and you can make progress. If you're, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating well, if you're not recovering well, I don't think you can make progress. And that will show up in health. So you, you'll be tired all the time and all this kind of stuff. So performance is on top of that, for sure. That is uh, 100% the, the thing. But it's, it is easy to forget that. So not so much as in a day-to-day -day like practices. So taking care of myself, but in the portrayal of it. So you, you get caught up you know, in the numbers a bit. This is, uh, I realize this, this happens every time. But it, it, because it is such a big focus, like you need to dedicate your, yourself quite a, a bit to be able to you know progress uh past certain point relative to your potential because everybody's potential is different everybody's background is different but for me 
right now, yeah, it is a bit uh, leaning towards uh, more chasing performance. And I need to remind myself that health is the number one thing. That's the first thing. Yeah, definitely. So now let's talk a little bit about performance and those numbers. So you mentioned your first 70.3 just before yes. Kona in 2019. How did how did that race go? Uh, what were your numbers? What were your splits? What were your goals leading into that race? Okay, so uh, my goals leading into that race were just to finish. So that was the ma- the most important thing was just to finish because um, it was a really big goal for me at the time. As in, I'd done one Olympic distance, but before that Olympic distance, I'd done nothing at all. And I'd been, I'd had a terrible injury and that terrible injury really, really, really impacted my life in a lot of ways. Uh, It was a pretty bad year. One of the worst years of my life, to be honest. So the 70.3 was uh, a signal. It was like a message, you know, finishing that race was a message to myself that that chapter was behind me and there was nothing else but the future in front of us. So that was it. I just wanted to finish and say, okay, this is, I've done this, uh, I completed it and that's it. So what happened is I uh, I did the 70.3. It took me five hours and four minutes. And those four minutes, uh, to be honest, still eat at my at my brain because I I went to that race completely not unprepared. I, I did train not that much, but quite a bit. But just gear-wise, I had no clue what I was doing. Like I had a mountain bike helmet. Uh, I, ha- I, I lost minutes in transition t1 putting on a hr strap where i could have easily had one on during the swim and it would have been awesome to go sub five in the like in the first race that would have been uh, that would have been cool i mean i ran the the half marathon in hoka bondies to just to kind of like frame where i was gear wise i I had no clue what uh what a super shoe was or what anything was that could actually give you performance advantages just by basically getting the right gear um, but I loved it. It was an amazing experience. So uh, that was the first 70.3. And then I, I just kept on thinking, man, it would be nice to do an Ironman. It would be nice to do an Ironman. And I was lucky enough to be a part, as a content creator, I was the video maker and photographer of Turin's triathlon team, which is called the PPR, PPR team. And they are an international triathlon team, as in they have like professional triathletes racing for them. So I got the the opportunity to make videos with coaches, with athletes, and with people who were so far ahead in this journey compared to me, uh, that it was a very big motivating force, as in I could like pick their brains a bit. I could like ask them questions. I could see where they were in life and the progression that they'd made. And, and this really inspired me. So I was... I was pretty, uh, this, I, I had decided that I wanted to do an Ironman. This was the thing. Uh, the The year that I decided to do an Ironman was the year of uh, the pandemic. So I had signed up for Hamburg in, in uh, 2020, but all the races got cancelled. Everything got cancelled. Uh, but I was lucky enough to, like, I, I could train. So I kept on training. And I was lucky enough to see that uh, Ironman Tallinn 2020, uh, was basically the only Ironman that was going to happen. So just on a whim, uh, without mm, any real proper build-up, I only did like one month build-up. I signed up for Ironman Tallinn 2020. I went there, I did it, and I got extremely humbled by the by the race. I didn't think it was going to be that tough. Probably it was all down due to not mm, being specific enough in the preparation, not having enough preparation. Uh, but yeah, it was a really humbling experience. It was amazing. But it was a really hard day. Uh, I had like hypothermia 
in the swim. The lake was really cold and I didn't have a neoprene cap. So it was a day to remember, but it was a really tough day. So I said, okay, uh, I have to do this again. I can't, I can't, uh, I, I think it took me 11 hours and 30 minutes, something like that. And mostly I hemorrhaged time. Well, on the swim, I lost like t- uh, 10 minutes, 10 full minutes on the swim because the, the lake had zero visibility. I had to sight all the time and it was freezing. And especially on the run. On the run, uh, like the the final two loops, I just basically couldn't run anymore. I wasn't really walking, but I wasn't really running. So I said, I have to do this again. Uh, it took me a little while uh, because I had one year, which was the year after, so 2021, I actually lived abroad. Uh, I came back to do uh, Ironman Hamburg, which had been postponed to September that year, 2021. But coming back, I got uh, I got myself COVID. So I was extremely sick. Um, it took me like more than three weeks to like feel kind of good, let's say. But especially I couldn't travel. I couldn't, well, I couldn't train first off. And I couldn't travel abroad because in Italy you still had like, um, you, could, you couldn't, you had to wait for like two negative tests or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. 2021 was completely written off uh, as race racing wise. But 2022, I knew that I wanted to give it my best shot. I wanted to really, uh, really give it, give it everything I had. No, sorry. Um, uh, twenty twenty one. No, twenty twenty two. Yeah, twenty twenty two. I wanted to give it my best shot, and I ended up going back to Tallinn again um, because I thought I knew the course, I knew all the variables. So this time there would be uh, an advantage to me, and I ended up. I trained more solidly, but not really that much. I trained maybe two months like really kind of specific and I ended up going uh, 10 hours and 18 minutes was a it was a really great day to be honest was a really really great day um I was kind of sick in the lead up but the day of the event I felt great I I uh, I think it was uh, something due to a bit of maybe iron deficiency uh leading up to the race maybe because of training too much in a condensed period of time but I ended up doing yeah 1018 uh massive pb pb in in all three so swim bike and run uh but i thought okay <laughs> i need to do this again uh i need to do this again because at that point i realized that 1018 was there was a lot of room for improvement like i knew that if i if i trained like solidly if i had like a, a proper build up maybe 3 months 4 months i reckoned i could i could still shave quite a lot of time of uh, of uh, the Tallinn time, so this year twenty twenty three uh, was uh, the goal was sub ten. I wanted to go sub ten, so I signed up for Hamburg twenty twenty three, and I trained. Basically, I I decided to. I usually spend some months in winter abroad because I can't really stand uh, winter much here in Italy. But this year, I just said, okay, I'll I'll stay in Italy. I'll I'll really focus on the training. I'll I'll focus on having stability and uh and focus on that so that i can give it my absolute best shot and see if i can go sub 10 because for me sub 10 at the beginning of this journey it was not even fathomable to be honest i i like i thought yeah maybe i don't know but i didn't really think i I could do it to be honest but at this point with some some years like of solid training behind behind me um i said okay let's give this a shot and i ended up doing i'm at hamburg in june and I did it uh, 9.42. So again, PB and everything apart from the swim. Uh, but it, it, it is a result that I'm really happy about, to be honest. Yeah, that yeah, that's very good. 
Um, so it's interesting to get some little insights into the to the the progression over the years. So before we get into the sub ten, just so we have a little bit of a reference point, you, you mentioned in both your first seventy point three and your first Ironman that you didn't train that well, and obviously yeah. you then went from eleven thirty something to ten eighteen. What were the biggest yeah. shifts there? You said you did a longer period of time. You were closer, probably two months of training rather than only a month of training. Obviously, it's the same course, so it's good to be able to compare those times. So what, what was the biggest shift? You know, was there two or three key things uh, shifting from that first Ironman to that 10.18 that you can tell us about? And then we will get into um, yeah, the sub-10 project. Yeah, definitely. It, it was a really big shift because for the first uh, Ironman, so the 11.30 one, the focus was just basically getting to the start line, not getting injured during the preparation and just getting there and getting the race done. Uh, this meant that I didn't really train very well for the run. Uh, the running was uh, very low intensity. It was just basically focused on, like, let's say, doing the distance. The second time around, it was this basically more specific. It wasn't really super specific, as in I trained at race pace, more race pace, both on the bike and on the run. But on the run, it was still fairly low intensity to what be, could be considered a marathon pace. So it was always like on the slow side. Uh, just for comparison, the runs that I did for the second Ironman, they were always at like uh, a zone two intensity, the long runs, let's say. But I did get the volume in. So I did, uh, for the first Ironman, I didn't really go past, I think, 20 kilometers, 21 kilometers. I would try and do like a mixture of bike and run to get the volume in, the overall volume in, but without really impacting the joints. Because I realized that in the lead up to the first Ironman, overuse injuries are pretty easy to get, uh, especially coming from zero background in anything. Uh, so the joints are not really conditioned to do long distance running, especially at a high intensity. But for the second one, I was a bit more confident. I had just, basically I had more training under my belt. So I said, Okay, I'll try and train more specific. And that really paid off because in the marathon, I really just faded in the last, let's say, loop. And Tallinn, uh, not so much this year because they changed the course, but in the past years, it was a very rolling run course. So a rolling run course um, was, I think it was 330 meters of elevation gain uh, during a marathon. So it's, uh, and it's all false flats, like really long false flats. And oftentimes with the wind uh, blowing against you. So if you slow down, it's very easy to go down, uh, like the pace to really drop significantly, even to like seven minute Ks because of the of the virtue of uphills plus wind. Um, so that took out um, quite uh, quite a lot of me, but it was only on the last loop. Whereas the first time it was the, the last two loops were all above like six minute K pace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I would say just having more training under my belt was the major thing, having more general fitness, but then yeah, training more specific, uh, like doing the really big weekends. So I started really doing the big ride, on, big ride on Saturday, plus a big run, uh, sorry, plus a brick run and on Sunday doing the full distance swim. So I will do 3,800 meters continuous swim on Sunday. And long run. I did the the longest run for the man was, I think it was uh, 20, 25K, 26K. Um, and that, I think, helped really a lot. 
Yes. Okay. So, and and what's give us an idea of you know average training hours per week and volumes across swim, bike, and run. For the second one or for the first one? Uh, let's do a comparison. First and then second. Okay. So please. for for the first one, I would say in the last the last build, the last month, I think it would have been maybe 13, 14, 14 hours, maybe. The second one, I think the biggest week was around 19 hours, 20 hours. But this was including like a really big ride on Saturday, which I would do like in the mountains. So, you know, a lot of time coasting, basically. It wasn't like full on, like five hour ride at race pace, let's say. So, but I would say, yeah, around maybe five hours more. I, I realized that I could handle more volume. I could handle more volume than the first time around. That is uh, definitely for sure. So it might've been swimming is always been uh, the least. I, I would swim uh, two times a week, both for the first one and the second one. Uh, I think for the second one, maybe I did swim three times a week, but it, it wouldn't be that much. It would be around 8,000 meters a week something like that so i would do i would try and do one faster swim and one longish swim and one full distance swim so i would do 3800 meters uh, every week i would do that every week uh, whereas in for the in the build up for the first one i maybe swam twice a week and i did the full distance maybe one, once or twice so it would it would have been a bit less bike was the the majority of the training it i think it was around maybe 80% maybe even more and it would be basically every day. Basically, I would, every every day I would ride one hour or ninety minutes, uh, just around in the hills around my hometown. And running would be both in the build up to the first one and the second one. It was only two times a week, excluding the Saturday brick run. So with the brick run, it would it would be three times a week, and it would be on Thursday. I would have a higher intensity session, which would be around one hour. So it would be a one hour, let's say, let's call it hard run. And on Sunday, it would be the long run. So anywhere from 17 up to 25 kilometers. On Saturday, I would have not always, and this is a, one of the biggest mistakes that I made, that I made, I believe. On Saturdays, I would have a brick run, but uh, I made a stupid mistake. And that is that I would do the rides that would be too long. So I would go to the mountains and do like all day rides which didn't really leave time for the brick run. And that is something that uh, I think I paid for a little bit on race day in the second Ironman. So Tallinn 2022. So that's a good little background of how you got started in the sport and your your first, those two Ironman builds and how they they differed. Now let's get into your journey to sub 10. Um, I think it's, I was going to ask you where, where did that goal come from? But I think now having heard the background, it's quite obvious that you were, you were sort of chipping away. You were you're spending more more yeah, time definitely dedicated to the sport, and um, obviously you got close. You got to ten eighteen, but still felt there was more more time for you to to gain. So, you know, can we get into some of the details now? Like, was there a reason you picked Hamburg? Was it just because you hadn't been able to race there since you originally entered because of the pandemic? Is it because it suits your strengths and or weaknesses? Was it the timing of the race? Was it location? Um, and then maybe a couple other things that went into really putting it out there and saying, right, I really want to go sub 10 on this race um, and you know shave at least 18 minutes off my previous best time. Yes, definitely. Um, 
So the reason I chose Hamburg was for all the reasons that you that you mentioned. So it was for the timing of the race. I really wanted to do an early season race in order to, A, if I achieved the goal, uh, it would free up the rest of the year to do other stuff. But B, if I didn't achieve it, I could have had other shots at uh, going to another race and doing it. Uh, yes, sub 10 came on uh, slowly. It wasn't a, a goal that I had in my mind uh, from the beginning. I just saw that I really felt that in the second Ironman in Tallinn, I really felt that because of some choices that I'd made, both during the training and on race day, I felt that I had more to give. I really felt this. Like I, I crossed the finish line. I was super stoked. I was really happy the, after the Tainting finish. But I felt that I, I really did have something more to give. So I picked Hamburg for the timing early in the season for the race course because it is a flat race, which to be honest, it doesn't really suit me. It doesn't really suit my strengths. So I think I, I would do much better on a slightly rolling course, but analyzing all the different races, analyzing when they were in the season, Hamburg seemed to be a pretty solid shot for going sub 10 because it is a lake swim so all the variables that concern maybe, you know, waves, choppy water, they are they are kind of uh, controlled. So you have lake swim, which is usually with a wetsuit, which helps. Uh, then you have a flat bike, which can have wind or not. That is just basically luck. So depending on luck. Uh, and this year, it wasn't very windy at all. Uh, and the run also is a flat run. Uh, running is really punishing if it is a rolling run course. And I learned this the hard way in Tallinn. So I said that was absolutely the thing. The most important thing was to have a flat run course. Because if you run and uh, you're dropping you're dropping the pace, let's say, if the run course is rolling on the uphills, you will really struggle. And it is a very muscular fatigue. So your legs will start not working very well. So I knew that I, I, I should choose for the goal of sub 10, I should choose a very simple course, a very, let's call it easy course. Uh, so I could control all those variables and be able to put out basically my best physical and mental uh, performance that I could without complicating my life, basically. <laughs> yeah, so how was your preparation for the race? Were you, were you confident coming into race day that you were going to achieve that sub 10? Okay, so the preparation for Hamburg was... I would say for my standards, because in, in my uh, preparation, something always seems to go like slightly wrong or something always seems to happen that complicates things. But it was fairly smooth sailing. Uh, I made the choice to stay in Europe and just focus on training, uh, which meant that I basically kept on training since uh, basically after Tallinn, I didn't really have any problems apart from one injury. I rolled my ankle trail running. Uh, in January, which uh, took me out from running for, I would say, around a month. It was a pretty severe ankle sprain. But apart from that, I'd stayed fit. I'd done all uh, in in fall. I'd actually done like a gravel race, a 220 kilometer gravel race, which is basically an, an Ironman effort, like 10, 10 hours or something like that, uh, all out without the mountain, of course. But I knew that mm, I, if I kept on training from that, I could maintain this fitness and all through winter i just kept on riding uh didn't swim much but i, I swam a little bit and i ran as much as i could and especially i did a lot of intensity on the run like really short intensity on the run uphill hill sprints 
all through fall and up until the injury. So in January. So I did, let's say, October, November, December. I did add some intensity into running, which is something that I had never done before. I'd never done intensity on the run. I'd done at max uh, some tempo efforts, but never like really intense efforts. Um, so coming into January, I was uh, I was ready to start the build. Basically, I was going to train from January up until the race. Unfortunately, I had this injury. So January was no running, but I did keep on going with the bike. Uh, swim and strength, especially. I substituted all the running sessions with strength sessions, which is something that I'd never done before. I'd never really focused on strength, leg strength, uh, stability, and core exercises. So that is something also that I did that was new to this preparation. And coincidentally, at this time, I started, uh, I've always been, let's call it self-coached. Uh, as in, I have a couple of coaches that I consult with, but I really like digging into like training, how training works, how to structure a training plan. So I'd always like taken bits and pieces from around uh, like the internet or from coaches that I that I trust. And I would put all these things together to create my training plans. And this year I always kept... Uh, this idea that I should be the one in control of my training plan. But I did change another big thing, which is I uh, got help from an app, which is the Motive app, uh, which is from Triathlon Taron, of course. He's a big YouTube, uh, well, um, like tri in the triathlon space, he's one of the biggest YouTubers. He has so many uh, videos about triathlon training and how actually all these things work. And the app, I think it's a really solid guideline I, I compare it to going to, let's say, university, as in you have this guideline from the app that tells you kind of like roughly what intensities you should be doing at what period before the race. So in February, what kind of efforts you, you should be doing, whereas closer to the race, you have an idea where the biggest volume week should be, where the biggest run should be, where the biggest bike should be. So I got help from uh, the Motive app this year. And to be honest, especially on the bike, it was extremely helpful. As in, I had structured work that I could uh, rely on weekly to the best of my ability. I would really, really make it a priority to hit the bike workouts, all of them. I trained in Europe, mostly on my gravel bike. I would train outdoors. I have a gravel bike with a power meter. And uh, I would just do all the intervals uphill uh, on climbs in the area. I have some unpaved climbs around my house. So it was really nice to get outside and be able to train productively. I could see like every week, basically, I could see the progression because I was hitting all the numbers. And running wise, I decided to really train specifically towards an Ironman marathon. That uh, means doing the biggest, the biggest shift for the run was doing a lot more stuff at marathon pace. So doing training sessions, it was always Thursday, the midweek, let's call it tempo session. So a, a higher intensity run. And on Sunday, it would be a long run, but with in, in it, I would have some really specific Ironman marathon pace repeats. And this could be anywhere from five kilometers uh, to 10 kilometers or like one hour at marathon pace. And that was a really, really big shift. As far as being confident to hit the goal, I I thought I thought I could do it because I basically just checked the, the times that I needed to do. And in training, I really focused on training specifically to those times. So 
I trained uh, the another big thing that I changed was to train the bike extremely specifically on Zwift. So I bought a Zwift hub and the closer I got to the race, both from a, a safety standpoint. So running outside in Italy on the roads is really, really, it can be really dangerous. Um, so I said, okay, last two months, let's not take any chances. I, I got a Zwift hub and I did basically all the sessions indoors, uh, both intervals, tempo and the long rides. So I did all my long rides basically at uh, Ironman intensity. So I knew that I could I could hold the, the speed necessary, the power necessary to go uh, at the desired split, to go sub 10. But that being said, on race day, anything can happen. Like, uh, so I was confident in the physical abilities. It was more about, you know, navigating uncertainty and things that could arise on event day. That was the, that was the biggest thing that, I think could have derailed, derailed me from going sub 10. Okay. So what were your goal splits for swim, bike and run to achieve that sub 10? And, and whilst you answer that, can you tell us what you ended up doing? Yes, of course. So the target splits were, I think for the swim, it was around 112, 113, something like that. Um, for the bike, I think it was five hours or maybe just slightly uh, higher than five hours it could have been. And for the marathon, I needed uh, like a 3.30 marathon. Those were the splits, basically. 3.35, I think, was the marathon. Like n- right now, the math might be off, but I, I made, in the YouTube video I made, there's everything, all the target splits that you need to maintain to go sub 10. This, um, these are all fine and good on paper, mm. but there are things that complicate this, as in Hamburg has a massively long transition. So the, the T1 in Hamburg is one kilometer long. And if you go and look at the broadcast, the, the infamous broadcast because of the accident that happened this year, if you look at the broadcast, when the pros are running through transition one, the commentators actually say, this is the longest transition of all time or something like that. So these are all factors that need to be accounted for. Like if you have a really long transition, which was the opposite of Tallinn. Tallinn was extremely fast transitions, like literally... 150 meters, 200 meters transition, like two minutes, two minutes and you're out. Whereas Hamburg is one extra K. So T1 might be, you know, seven minutes, seven minutes. T1 is a big factor on a, on a goal like this. So I knew that I had to, yeah, I had to aim for those splits, but having a bit of a buffer, like would have been good. So I knew that I had to go a bit faster than that. So the target splits, uh, sorry, the the splits that I ended up doing in Hamburg uh, were I had a really mm, poor swim compared to what I'd done in Tallinn the year before. The year before I'd done a, I think it was a one twelve or something, um, which for me is a is a, it's an okay it's an okay uh, uh, time. And I was aiming to do like one ten. I knew from the from swimming that I'd done in training I could do a one ten without taxing myself too much, but I wasn't really feeling very good the the, the night before the event. I had a splitting headache and I, I didn't really feel good, and I ended up not being even able to eat breakfast the morning of the event. So I struggled with the swim. I struggled with finding like a rhythm and um, like maintaining a good pace, and I ended up swimming a uh, one fourteen, which was something that I was absolutely not stoked on. Then I got out, uh, T1 was seven minutes and 30 seconds. I really rushed through T1, um, managed to get out there in, I think it was a okay time, let's say. Then bike, I did four hours and 50 minutes. Uh, T2 was something around 
three minutes and a half, four minutes. And the marathon I did, uh, I think it was three hours and 24 minutes. Uh, very good. So you lost a little bit of time in the swim, but then every other split was ahead of target. So that explains why you went 9.42. And um, yeah, not yeah. only did you take 18 yeah. minutes off, but a further yeah. 18 minutes on the other side. So very symmetrical. Basically, yeah, the, the, exactly, exactly. The thing that happened was on the bike, the, there was the the, the enforce, uh, unfortunate incident like uh, with the motor, like there was the, that big accident and mm. that really, really sucked. That was really bad and it, it actually impacted uh, because I got there just as they were basically doing CPR on the athlete and it really sucked. It is something that you do not want to see during an event, especially because that person on the ground could have been any one of us Um who who we were we were just walking around the scene of the accident. It was really, really bad. But anyway, this this uh, accident meant that the road was closed, and we had to actually. Uh, you've probably seen this. We had to run up uh, embankment with the bike, like a hiker bike, yes. basically. Yes, I saw some footage <laughs> of this. Yeah, and then we had to run like I don't know, three hundred meters, four hundred meters with our bikes, and then resume pedaling, and this. I, I personally, I thought that they were cancel. They were going to cancel the race. That's that's what I thought the first time that I saw this bike is a two loop course. So the first loop is when the accident happened, and I, I was sure there was they were going to cancel the race. But in the end, they ended up rerouting it. Uh, so as as I realized that the, the race was going to keep on going, I just I realized that I needed to make up the time in the swim, and make up time in T one. So. To be honest, I really took some massive risks. Like, I did eventually uh, end up doing the the power that I set out set out to do, maybe just slightly more. But the biggest thing that I risked was with surging. So I came out so far back in the swim that I was always overtaking people, like constantly. All the bike split, I was always overtaking people. Uh, so this means always surging because even if the the person in front of you is kind of like doing your same speed, if you have to overtake them, you have to surge. And this meant burning really a lot of, of matches, like really a lot. I could feel my legs were super fatigued, but it ended up paying off as in the bike split was really good. The, the biggest question was, can I run after, can I run well after this uh, bike effort? And it ended up, yeah. I felt really good the first three loops. I ended up fading a little bit on the fourth loop. Like uh, always legs, always the legs uh, got tired. And it's just that they, they end up kind of like, you know, not working very well. So you're doing the same effort, but the legs just aren't moving very well. Uh, but yeah, I managed to hang in there and I'm really, I'm really happy with how it went. Yeah, as you should be. It was a, a great outcome in the end. So I really like this question, but can you take us inside a typical training week leading into that Ironman? Now you touched on a couple of the sessions you were doing and a couple of things that you were doing for your run, but, you know, take us through Monday to Sunday, you know, what the key sessions were, um, you know, and again, the, the, a similar question to what I asked before about hours per week, frequency of sessions, um, distance covered in, in swim, bike and run. Yes, definitely. Um, so basically, I can I can run you through the the let's say a, a week, uh, basically doing a parallel with what I'm doing right now because it's almost the same thing. Um, so basically, 
it would be Monday is a day off. Monday is uh, a day that I try and keep as a rest day. I, ever since I started doing this, I found it really helps recover. Or at most, I would do like a recovery ride, but that is a real recovery ride. So a really low intensity ride. Um, on Tuesday, this depends on where I am uh, rega- uh, in respect to an event. So when I'm far out from an, an event and the volume is still not super high, Tuesday would be a very intense bike. So let's say a VO2 bike uh, with intervals. And uh, getting close to the, to, an event, to the event, it would be a 30-minute brick run. On Wednesday, it would be uh, a swim. So let's say a faster or a high-intensity swim. And then a steady bike. So a low-cadence, let's say high-power bike workout, but in the, in the tempo range. So not really super, super high-intensity. Thursday is an intense run, so a tempo run and a strength session and the intense run usually is between 55 and let's say 70 minutes uh, n- not really much longer than that friday would very often be just a recovery ride so very easy ride because then on the weekend it's like the biggest volume days are on the weekend so on saturday it usually is like a main bike so at least five hours on the bike and then a brick run, which ranges between 20 minutes to 45 minutes. And these sessions, based on where you are uh, relative to the event, like when you're super far out, they'll be just maybe more tending towards the zone two side of things. So just zone two, just ride and run and just build that fitness. But the closer you get to the event, the more these sessions become specific. So the main bike is target race pace, repeats so you know 20 minutes at race pace like three times 20 minutes at race pace or three times uh, half an hour or two times one hour at race power the brick run also the brick run uh, starts off with being like a zone two and then as you progress it'll be it, it could be something like 10 minutes zone two 10 minutes i'm a marathon pace 10 minutes faster than i'm i'm a marathon pace and then maybe 10 minutes cool down or 10 minutes zone two and Sunday is a steady swim, so a long swim, and the main run. So, for instance, this this weekend that is coming is the biggest uh, the biggest volume uh, weekend, which is exactly almost the same that, uh, that I did for Hamburg. And it is so Saturday is five hours on the bike, forty five minute brick run, and Sunday is a three thousand eight hundred meter swim. I'll probably do it continuous or I'll just do like, I'll, I might split it up in a thousand meters and it will very probably be open water. And then it is main run. Main run is 27 kilometers and it is basically uh, building towards the effort and you do the last 70 minutes at your goal Ironman marathon pace. So the final 70 minutes are specific to to the event, like extremely specific. And um, this is basically the structure that I did uh, for Hamburg. I almost I did basically the same thing. I've been following the same the same the same program, the same protocol. The only thing that I would shift the closer I got to an event would be that I would realize that after the big weekends I would be extremely fatigued. So doing a super high intensity session on Tuesday, it just it I couldn't do it. So what I would do is I would. Um, reverse the order 
of the low cadence strength work, which is actually a tempo workout. And I would do that on Tuesday instead of Wednesday. That is the, the biggest thing that I, that I would change the closer I got to an event. Thank Thanks for sharing that and, and giving us a bit of detail. Now, you mentioned strength training earlier as uh, injury prevention and something that you integrated for the first time. And then you mentioned that you were doing it on, on Thursday in that weekly structure. What does that look like? Is it, is it supporting work? Is it, is it heavy lifting? Is it just something you can do at home or do you go to the gym? Can you tell us a little bit about your strength training? Yes, definitely. So uh, it is not, never heavy lifting. I wouldn't call it heavy lifting. It is more focused on basically stability. So it is uh, the whole objective of it is to feel strong, especially in the, in the core section. So it could be like mm, squats, deadlifts, but never, never heavy. Always like the right amount of weight that you really feel the the body and the core working and getting stronger, but never like super overload that it, it would uh, fatigue you in any like really significant way. And on top of that, I would do some upper body stuff for swimming. So like it could be resistance resistance bands or kettlebells or stuff like that. Um, and I did actually a, a lot of single-legged stuff. So single-legged, um, you know, split squats, or even just any single-legged, uh, even like upper body exercise with a kettlebell, but just standing on one leg, I found that it really activates the core a lot. Uh, so yeah, basically the the the, the whole uh, objective of st- strength training was, yeah, to gain a little bit of strength in the legs with the squats, uh, but mostly about keeping the core really solid, engaged, and I really feel it makes a difference, especially on in running, uh, because if you if you don't really do strength training, it's easy to get like floppy, like the core gets floppy, it doesn't really activate. Whereas if you have an activated core, you feel more solid and you feel like you can run, like it feels easier, it feels easier to run. So yeah, definitely strength training is a big big thing that I added, and I think it really paid off. Yeah, and what about uh, you added in strength training? What about other things you did in your prepare, preparation to set you up to achieve your goal? So you mentioned in like your first seventy point three, you're in the running in the Hoka Bondi's. Um, yeah, what, what did you do with your bike, bike <laughs> fit, equipment choices? You know, were there other things that you really spent a lot of time on to make sure you achieve that sub ten? Okay, so the first thing that I that I would like to say is I, I felt the biggest benefits uh, in training. Because um, the biggest benefit that I found was doing low cadence bike workouts. That was the thing that I believe really helped me not only to have like a, a certain FTP or whatever, but being able to maintain and push power, constant power for a long period of time. So on the bike, the biggest thing that I did was low cadence strength workouts. On the run, it was doing specific Ironman marathon repeats, so getting accustomed to running at that intensity, knowing what running at that intensity feels like, uh, and being familiar with it. As far as gear goes, yes, I did uh, pay attention to some things, and specifically what I changed for uh, Hamburg was get a TT helmet for the bike. That was, the the um, I think, a, a big improvement because a TT helmet makes a big difference. I already had uh, one in Tallinn, but it wasn't really one of the those that cover the ears. And a TT helmet that cover, covers the ears, I think gives a, a good advantage. 
And then, yeah, basically gear-wise, I just tried to optimize everything that I could. So on the bike, I had nothing fancy. I don't have a fancy bike, but but the bike was built, you know, solid. It was light. Uh, I made sure that my rear water bottle was angled all the way, like almost parallel to the ground, which is something that a lot of people have. They have the rear bottle, like super tilted up, you know, like 90 degrees uh, from the ground, which is something that if you look around on any aero testing, that is uh, <laughs> something that is such a small thing that you can change, but just tilting it more parallel to the ground will give some improvements. Um, then I got a hydration system, a front hydration system, which I believe on a flat course like Hamburg makes an incredible difference. Like it is really helpful. Before I used to run a front water bottle, but like a normal water bottle. So you you would have to pull it out and drink. A front hydration system is just so convenient and you can just refill it while you're going. So definitely I would recommend it to anyone who's doing like a flat course and uh, wants to optimize their time, let's say. So for the run, uh, the biggest improvement uh, I did and that anyone can do is to buy some carbon, carbon plated uh, super shoes. In my specific case, I got a pair of Alpha Flies and I already got them for Tallinn 2022. And these shoes, they they absolutely make a difference. Uh, I believe at any speed, I actually did a, a test in training. Uh, I did a 30 kilometer long run, the last long run, and I split it. The first half, I did it with Hoka Stinson, which is kind of like a Bondi, so a max cushion shoe, a slow shoe. And then I ran uh, the the second 15K in the Alpha Fly. And there was, I, I, I did the math. I think it ended up being uh, exactly like a 4% improvement in time just by switch, switching shoes keeping the, the same heart rate, same perceived exertion and the same exact course. So I did exactly the same loop, uh, just with the different shoes. And I would definitely recommend uh, carbon plated shoes. They don't need to be alpha fly. I actually think alpha flies might actually be detrimental at the final, really final stages of the marathon because you, you need to maintain a good form. Like you need to maintain a good form to uh, maximize the advantage from the alpha fly. So I uh, I'm still going to use them in Nice, uh, but it'll be. I'm not so sure that it's the best shoe out there for age groupers. Uh, I would really like to try the new the new Hokas because I think they look a bit, you know, less extreme. The Alpha is a pretty extreme shoe. Yeah, it is. Obviously, it was you know famously designed for those elite runners who were trying yeah. to run you know a two hour marathon, which yeah. Not many age groupers are doing that, and they're certainly not doing it exactly. off the bike. And then yeah, they are quite they're quite a big high shoe and um i think it i think it benefits people who run a certain way um and now obviously a lot of the other shoe brands have sort of caught up and bringing out their own super shoes and i, I do think it's a a, a in, an interesting topic because it's a carbon plated shoe is going to make you faster and i think most people can agree on that but it's just making sure that you are able to pick the shoe that best suits you and and the way that you run and the racing that you're doing but obviously it's very hard for for people to test um, because you have to go and spend, you know, three hundred dollars yeah, exactly. or, or more yeah. you know, per shoe, so you know it can be a tricky one. But it, it's not necessarily just going, oh, this one's a Nike, so th- this is the best shoe. It's um, it, you know, if if you got the opportunity to to try and to try out different shoes, uh, that is definitely a good idea for sure. Yeah, definitely. I I think I personally would not recommend the Alpha Fly. Uh, to be honest, because I need to do more testing on on other shoes. I don't. Uh, I think it. I think all the things that you gain in the beginning of the marathon with the Alpha Fly, because it does give you a pretty big boost. I think they even out 
throughout the the whole marathon because you just if you can't maintain a good form you know and a good uh running cadence it might not end up uh, losing some seconds in the second half but anyway test test that, that's the thing everybody needs to test everybody it's highly personal i mean i i personally really like uh, the four millimeter drop uh in any shoe like hokers all have four five millimeter drops um and that is the thing that the alpha Fly one has and i really like that uh but it's highly personal so everybody needs to test and see how they react yeah definitely and what about do you ride with a, a disc wheel what's your wheel setup so no, no disc wheel. And that is the thing uh, next year. That is uh, the thing that I would like to try. It's, I just have a very simple, I have a rim TT, TT bike, Argon 18 e, E117. And I have just a very basic pair of Mavic Cosmic like um, carbon wheels, but they're like uh, 60 mil. They're not, they're nothing fancy. They're pretty light. That's the thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one thing that I need to work on next year. I would really like to try a disc wheel because I think on a flat course, if you are above, I think, 36K per hour, I think a disc wheel is a, is a solid, solid choice because it can give you a pretty... The more, the more, the faster you go, the more these thing, things compound and, and you end up like, you know, gaining more and more uh, advantage from these things. But uh, this year, I wasn't really sure that it would give me an advantage, but mm, next year, I would like to try a disc wheel for sure. Yeah, that will be that will be interesting. I think, especially if you're riding a, a four fifty bike split, I think you're definitely a candidate for a for a disc wheel. So that will be that will be interesting. Now, you you said you're using a very similar training structure leading into Nice now, because obviously you yeah. qualified for Ironman World Champs in Nice. Is there anything you are changing? Are you doing more riding outside and up the climbs? Obviously, you've got access to the climbs there. Yes, in Italy, and or is it more that you're being a bit more specific with those low cadence? sessions that you mentioned that have been an integral part of your training over the last couple of years? So definitely the low cadence workouts are a big focus during the week. I'm definitely doing those. Um, but what I've changed is, yeah, I'm training extremely more specific on the bike. So on the bike, it'll be the long ride will have climbs. It will have uh, long climbs because Nice is uh, three major climbs. Uh, the first one and the last one aren't really that long. But the one in the middle is 18 kilometers climbing. Very steady gradient. It's a super, super easy climb, let's say. I mean, no climb is easy because if you go full gas, uh, even if it's a steady gradient, you can you can literally destroy yourself, let's say. But yeah, I'm training a lot more specific in that in that regards because it is very different doing, you know, 180, 180K on a flat course. It takes you, you know, five hours. 180K with 2,400 meters of elevation is a completely different animal. So I I believe I need to understand what it feels to ride that uh, that bike course or a bike course similar to that and to feel what intensity you can push, how you can uh, manage the climbs so that you can attack them and like be proficient on them, but without like burning out too much. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that has been a big focus. And the thing that I've been doing is I've been focusing on doing these continuous climbs. And so far it's been going, I think, pretty well, as in I've been getting some really good power numbers, especially for the 60 minute and the 90 minute power. Uh, I've been getting some solid improvements in that regard. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, the training is paying off and I hope, uh, yeah, I hope to get there. I actually went down and rode the course last week. 
definitely I overdid it. I definitely pushed too much intensity, but I think it was useful because I, first off, I saw the course, which is absolutely amazing. It's an amazing bike course. Like it's spectacular. I didn't think so. I, I had already ridden in the area, but I've, I've never seen anything like it as in you ride up in the, in the mountains behind Nice, but then you end up in a super high plane where there is nothing, there's no towns, there's nothing. And there's these all like amazing, spectacular places. So the bike course is spectacular. And I got a feel for, you know, all the climbs, what parts you can do with a TT bike, what parts would be better on a road bike. Uh, if I should use a TT helmet, because there's a lot of climbing and you might overheat. Uh, so yeah, that that definitely helped. So I'm trying to be as specific as possible with the preparation. That's great. So what did you decide? Are you going to go TT bike and are you going to wear a TT helmet? It is, in my opinion, it is 100% a TT bike course, as in the climbs. I mean, the, the climbs that I have here next to my house, which is uh, fairly close to the mountains, there are zero climbs like the ones in Nice. The Nice climbs are super um, steady grade and they're very, very uh, gentle. It's never like 10%. It's always like 5% which means you can actually ride a lot of the sections of the first uh, the first big climb called the Lecre. You can literally ride the first one third of it in the TT position. And I ended up doing that because on, on one way, going one way up this climb, you had a headwind. So if you stayed in the TT position, you actually gained a lot of advantage compared to riding, you know, in the, in the hoods. So, and uh, when you reach the high plane up top, that is all TT. And also in the downhills, the downhills also are pretty gentle. They're not like super steep. So you can actually ride some parts in the TT position. So in, in my opinion, I'm, I'm definitely going to run the TT bike unless it rains. If it rains uh, and I need disc brakes, I'm going to use, uh, I have a super aero gravel bike by 3T called the Explorer Race Max, which is, to be honest, it's extremely aero. It might even be more aero than the Argon. Um, so if it rains, I will choose to run disc brakes. Uh, so I will use, I will modify the, the the gravel bike. I will change out the wheels, put on some air extensions. And uh, I will use that because you have like 45 kilometers of descents, which are fairly technical. There are some some points that are really dangerous actually on the course. I think I'm, I'm thinking actually that they might in the briefing say something about being in TT position in the downhills. I think they might ban it or something like that because it is really dangerous in some spots. Uh, but yeah, the, the A plan is TT bike, TT helmet with the visor and just flip the visor uh, to the top of the helmet so that you can like breathe a bit more during the climbs because the only spot where you overheat is the, is the the first two climbs, maybe the third one a bit, but the third one is pretty high up. So being high up is not, it's not super hot. And in the morning in Nice, even last week, it was already fairly chilly. It wasn't super hot. So I think TT bike, TT helmet, and full on, yeah, basically the same exact uh, setup that I used in Hamburg. The only thing I changed is I took off the front hydration system and I opted to put in just normal water bottle because it's just a bit lighter. It's like uh, 150 grams instead of, you know, 600 grams of the hydration setup. And for Nice with uh, the climbing, I think weight is a key factor. Like even just uh, for the first two climbs, I think a big strategy will be to not have your water bottles full, like having everything empty so that you are as light as possible when you attack the first two climbs, which is where you basically, I think, can make a difference. 
Um, so being as light as possible there and then refueling up top that when you have a descent and then you have a, basically a rolling section. So being mindful of weight is something that I'm also being careful of for Nice. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and uh, appreciate you sharing the detail. Now, before we move on and start wrapping things up, uh, can you share exactly what some of these low cadence sessions look like? Uh, just you know, maybe yeah. the one that you've got today. Like, what what does what does that look like exactly from warm up through to cool down? Definitely. So it's always a, today specifically is a ten minute warm up. So it's just basically those two, and I basically ride to a climb in the area. And today is repeat ten times, five minutes top of zone three. So let's say two hundred and seventy watts with a low cadence. So fifty, sixty cadence. Two minutes easy spin, and then five five minutes easy spin cool down. So it's uh, ten times five minutes top of zone three power. So two hundred seventy watts at a fifty sixty cadence. Two minutes uh, recovery spin. Sometimes it's um, early in, the, in the, the season. It might be a bit different. It could be five minutes top of zone three sixty cadence, and then five minutes top of zone three but normal cadence. That is another workout that uh, another type of workouts. That uh, that we did, yeah, and repeat okay. that you know six seven times. Mm, okay, yeah, so super simple really, and obviously you've got the ability to be able to go and do those on an actual climb, um, yeah, and get yeah, outside. Yeah. So about a ninety minute session in total, uh, yeah. ten by five minutes is a main exactly. Session. Cool. Let's say and... that normally the VO two max interval sessions will be one hour, and the uh, low cadence sessions will be around ninety minutes. Yeah. Okay. And so what's your goal for this event? Is it is it time-based again or is it just enjoying being there or, or something in between? I would, I would replace it as something in between. Um, like when I, when I got to start, I was like, okay, this will just be a party. I'll just go there. It will be to enjoy it, to experience the event. No time goal, no ever. No, nothing along those lines. But to be honest, uh, like the closer you get to the event, I kind of like feel... You know, uh, I, I would call it like a world champs spinoff, like a baby world champs or something. It's not, it's not Kona at all. By mm. it's completely different. As in, for the, the the basic fact that it is just another Ironman. To be honest, like in June you have Ironman Nice, and it is practically the same race, which is one of the the biggest, I think, uh, downfalls of this event. Like it's it's not really that special. But that being said, uh, I'm really excited about the actual course like it is uh, a swim in an amazing place it is a 180 kilometer spectacular bike course which i think is more suited to my strengths because i'm i'm more suited for climbing than uh, steady power on a flat course and it is and being a single loop it is you know a bit more of an adventure compared to i don't know hamburg where you do two loops in like like some nondescript um, country roads where you can't really see much not really that exciting and then you have the marathon is, you know, a flat marathon on, it's going to be full of people, packed with people. So my my goal is to, well, A, get to the race uh, uninjured, which is, uh, to be honest, uh, with a bit of bad news. Yesterday, I stubbed my one of my toes in my foot. So we are trying to understand how bad this is, uh, but hopefully it'll be okay. Uh, so anyway, make it to the start line. Mm, enjoy the event for sure, but I would really like to push the limits of, of 
you know, what I felt in Hamburg, in Hamburg, I really felt that I pushed everything I had. But, you know, when you think about stuff after you've done it, it always ends up, oh, I could have done a little bit more. Who knows? Maybe I could have, you know, pushed a little bit more on the run uh, in the final two loops. Uh, and I think I had it in me. So in this, I would really like to see if I can go beyond what I felt in Hamburg. That's the main thing. So time-based, it's hard to pinpoint because being such a high elevation course, it'll be, uh, the recon ride was around, uh, I did the 178K, so almost the full bike course, and I did it in five hours and 50 minutes. Um, and that was with the traffic, traffic lights and all that stuff. So doing the same split during the event would be very cool. I would really be uh, happy with a 550 bike split, sub six, let's say. And marathon, anything under 324 would be great. So I don't have any ambitions to like do a standout marathon because it'll be very hard after such a hard bike. But I would like to see, you know, if I can make a little, a little bit of gains also on the run, that would be absolutely awesome. And I would be really, really happy about it. Yeah, well, obviously we we wish you the best and we'll be waiting to see how you go. What's what's the plan after Nice? More racing, goal to get to Kona. I assume at some point. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Next year, I would. Uh, or after Nice, the plan is, uh, I'm going to hopefully, if this thing with uh, with the toe in the foot is okay, I'm going to be doing a 50k trail race running, and I'm going to be doing a 300 kilometer gravel event in uh, in mid October. And this is because next year, my main goal is going to be um, an Ironman, but it's a particular type of Ironman, as in you do the full swim in the sea. Then you do 218 kilometers gravel. So you ride gravel all through mountains, mountain passes. It's completely self-supported. And then you end up uh, in another place. So it's a point-to-point bike. And then you have uh, a trail marathon. So that is going to be my main goal. Uh, oh, cool. It What's should that called? be. Fit. It's called uh, Mercantur Man, and it is. I already want to do it this year, but with you need to you have to have your support crew, mm. and uh, I had a bit of uh, problems this year with uh, regarding that, so the, the crew couldn't be there. And to be honest, um, I need to build up like my portfolio, you know, my my let's say endurance resume, and I need to have like a trail race on there because you have to send the application in and yeah, they have okay. to accept it, because it is a, it is a fairly risky. Uh, race also it's not only like hard but it is it goes through mountains and all that kind of stuff so they they need to know that you are you know that you have a bit of experience in that and i've already done uh quite a few trail runs like 35k and with quite a lot of elevation but i need to have like a you know a trail race to say okay i've done this and a gravel event i've already done some fairly long gravel events like to 20 to 30k um, but I would like to do a three three hundred kilometer gravel event, which is I mean they're awesome. It's just a, it's a it's an awesome event. Like a, it's a all day, uh, even more. Like depending on the course, it can be anywhere from fifteen to twenty hours. Um, you know, going to amazing places and stuff like that. So I'm really stoked on those two things in order to build to next year for this event. Um, and then I think everything can change, but. I would like to at least give it a shot, you know, at least give a, give Kona a shot. 
I have no ambition because I mean the field the fields in Europe are really 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 tough like mm, it's not uncommon like in Hamburg the first age group in my age group did eight hours and 12 minutes like that is absolutely insane if you think about it um, and of course Hamburg in my opinion is possibly the the toughest field uh, in Europe that's that that's what I think because it's in Germany there's really so many so many so many strong athletes um so definitely I'll have to pick another race uh because uh I think I think I could shave a, still a, a fairly good chunk of time off uh, the 942 just by you know swimming better I could I could if I could get my swim under 110 would already be, be great for me maybe you know a shorter transition maybe a disc wheel maybe running solidly throughout the whole marathon so taking some time off there I think there's still room for improvement and yeah, if everything goes as planned, yeah, I would like to, to, you know, give it a shot. And if it doesn't pan out, uh, doesn't matter. It's always next year. And yeah, that's, uh, that's it. And for ne- for next year, the goal is more adventure stuff, more, I'd like to do more adventure stuff, like, you know, trail races and gravel races, because that is super, super, super fun. And with the fitness that you build doing 70.3 or Ironman, it is very easy to transition to those events. So maybe, you know, maybe doing some gravel events around Europe would be nice. Yeah, well, that sounds really fun. I haven't actually heard of that event. It's, it uh, reminded me of something like Norseman, um, but obviously yeah, it off, is, off-road um, gravel adventure. Yeah. So. I think it is, There's, I think there's going to be many more events like this popping up because it is, this is an, a true extreme triathlon, as in you go off-road like, it's a point, uh, point to point. It's a different yeah, point to point. Yeah. Oh, it's a, yeah, and the thing is, it's a, it's a tiny race. Like it's a, yeah, it's a tiny race. I think this year, five people did it or something like that. Oh, Not, wow. Uh, okay. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super, super, super tiny. Um, and yeah, but it, it really, really, if I had to, to tell you what goal excites me for next year, and I mean, this of course is all subject, subject to change. Everything can change in an instant, but if there was one goal that really excites me next year, it will be that event. So yeah, yeah looking forward to it. Uh, that's cool. And I think that's a good good note to end. So I'll take this opportunity to thank you for your time again. Um, it is very early in the morning over in Italy. So I appreciate you getting <laughs> up and spending the first hour, hour and a half of your day talking to me. And um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And we'll be watching to see how you go in Nice. Thank you so much, Jamie. It was a pleasure uh, waking up, chatting about all this stuff. Uh, I think uh, maybe you can tell I'm really passionate about this stuff. I really love it. Uh, so yeah, thank you for having me, having me on and congratulations on the show, on the podcast. It's awesome. And uh, looking forward to hear, hearing new episodes. Great. Thanks again. Have a good day. You too. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience, 
and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing, and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.